Um, when I was in college, they called it Black Beach Weekend, but um, I'm not sure if they still call it that anymore. But nonetheless, everyone was going and my girlfriends and I decided we wanted to go as well. At the time, camera phones weren't a thing. Um, so I had my uh, my little digital camera where I could take my pictures and then I would develop them later. And while we were there and every time we were like getting approached by guys or they were around in our proximity, which it wasn't hard to do because there were men everywhere. There were women everywhere. A lot of people were making the comment like big girls need love too. And I remember like feeling like, who's this big girl they keep talking about? Because it clearly wasn't me. I had no idea. Um, and it wasn't until we got back and I developed my photos that it dawned on me that I was the big girl in all of the pictures and all of my girlfriends were much thinner than I was. Welcome to the Pretty Girl Sweat Show, which highlights women who are balancing demanding careers with a healthy lifestyle and hurtling over personal and professional obstacles. Each week, I have a sister-to-sister chat with an inspiring go-getter, and listeners learn how good things come to those who sweat. Janelle B. Stewart, the founder and editor-in-chief of the award-winning website, KinkyCurlyCoilyMe.com, dedicates herself to uplift women with natural hair and works tirelessly to make natural hair the norm. With every article, Janelle pushes beauty boundaries to reach new readers. With her successful YouTube channel, Janelle has taught millions of viewers how to care, style, and nurture natural hair. Janelle has won People's Choice Awards, been featured in Essence Magazine, BlackEnterprise.com, and starred on the Dr. Oz television show as a beauty expert curiosity conversations with people that you, you know, meet through social media (laughs) in some way, shape or form. So I'm glad we were able to get connected, uh, thankfully through Instagram. Mm -hmm. And um, I just want to start from the best place, which is the beginning. Um, Tell me about your upbringing. From like as a little child? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So I um I was born in Staten Island, New York. And my mom, my father, they were both immigrants. They came to America. Um, <clears throat> I believe I want to say my dad came to America in the 70s a few times. And my mom came in the 80s. And my mom, after being with my dad for a little while and not really feeling like that was going to be a long-term thing, the relationship just wasn't that great, she decided she wanted to relocate from New York. And she settled in little old Rhode Island. Okay. Uh, the tiniest state of the entire <laughs> United States. Um, after visiting a friend who she visited there and she really had a good time. So she liked it. And my mom still lives in Rhode Island till this day. Okay. So I grew up in Rhode Island, coming back and forth between my parents. I stayed with my mom for um, elementary. Then I lived with my dad for middle school. Then I moved back with my mom for high school. So um, doing the single parent thing, living and trying to have a good connection and relationship with my dad and also with my siblings. Um, um, and now I'm back in New York and I, uh, after college, I moved to Brooklyn where my, where my husband then at the time boyfriend lived and I was there for many years with him. And then after our second child, we relocated to Long Island so that we could have more space and we could mm-hmm. have grass, things that you just don't get in the city, mm-hmm. um, and just have the comfort of a suburban life where our kids could grow up in a community with people that they see at the grocery store and at the playground and just that small time, small town vibe. <laughs> <laughs> well, where did your parents immigrate from? Oh, actually, they came from West Africa, Liberia. Oh, nice. Okay. Um, so, yeah. And how do you think um, their birthplace contributed to maybe, you know, the way that you are today? Oh, well... Um, Africans in general are like no nonsense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My mom and dad are like hardcore with what they what they expect from their children as it relates to behavior, um, and especially with education, respect, and reverence are really important to them. Um, coming from Liberia and not having formal education and having to work really hard to get citizenship and to make a way for themselves, they don't take messing around with your education and achieving your career goals very lightly at all. So 
my mom really ingrained in me growing up that it was important for me to do exceptionally well. My dad, nothing was ever good enough for him. He's that dad that if you get like a 90 on something, <laughs> why didn't you get a hundred? Uh-huh. Um, so he was never satisfied. It could never please him. Um, and of course, like most Africans and even African-Americans, of course, the church is center and foundation in our home. Everything we do is for Jesus. God's always watching. Um, so I grew up in a very, very religious environment. And to this day, I'm still very religious, go to church as often as possible, unless I'm traveling for work. Um, and my children are very active and involved in the church as well. Awesome. And was fitness or eating healthy a part of your early childhood? No, N-O, no. (laughs) There was no such thing as eating healthy. Um, My mom and my dad, both coming from Liberia, are still eat the way that they've always eaten. Um, And you know, the sad part about it is my my dad, he passed away um, two years ago and his health was deteriorating from as long as I could remember. Mm -hmm. Um, He had really, he had diabetes. And I remember he only used to take like supplements. And then as the years went on, I started to notice that it went from just like medication and pill form to having to like give himself insulin. The medication was increasing in number and quantity. Um, So my dad, even, you know, getting sick and slowly dying until he actually did pass away, never really took his diet as something that he felt like he could change even to save his life. Um, But to circle back a little bit, growing up, my parents always eat African food. Liberian food is pretty much like all they know. It's very uncommon for my mom or my dad to eat something that's not African, like how now in our culture, we go to have Mexican food as a norm. Like we go to Chipotle um, or Moe's Mexican Grill. My kids, they ask, can we get burritos? You know, And I'm like growing up, eating out was like Chinese food, but mm-hmm. now only options. We can eat Indian food. We love Indian food. We um, we love eating things from other cultures all the time. And my husband, he's from the Caribbean, so we get exposed to all of those delicious meals as well. But growing up, my family, we always just ate African food. The only time I had a meal that wasn't African food was at school. Um, So lunch was like whatever they sold, whatever they served rather in the cafeteria. And there was no focus on make sure you have fruits every day, make sure you have um, vegetables. A lot of Liberian dishes are actually made with vegetables, but the way that they're prepared, all the nutritional value is completely taken out of it. Um, Once you add in all that vegetable oil, all the palm oil, all of the um, the sodium from salt and adobo and bullion cubes all in one pot. Mm-hmm. Um, and the we as librarians, we actually eat a lot of we eat multi meat dishes. When I met my husband, I learned that you know, cultures in the Caribbean, they eat like one meat in a dish, which it's, you know, if you're having curry chicken, you're having curry chicken. You don't have curry chicken, curry beef, curry goat all together. Um, But in Liberian culture, we actually do eat like that. So any dish you're eating, you can pretty much decide what protein you want to have or you eat them all, which is how I loved it. We would eat everything. So you would have chicken, you would have beef, you would have smoked turkey, you'd have like fish or seafood all in one pot and all of the flavors added to making the dish taste the way it tasted. Um, But and there also was no such thing as portion control. We ate in abundance. The only issue was is if you took it, you needed to eat it all. Mm-hmm. So there was no regulation of how much you ate aside from like you must finish it. Um, there was no focus on um, uh, living a healthy lifestyle even outside of just our food. You know, I was never... I was never encouraged to be, uh, to do exercise, so to speak. Um, of course it was on me if I wanted to like join a sport or something like that, but there was no, no one ever encouraging me to go for a walk or participating in, um, activities that easily translate into exercise once you do them, you know, like walking or running or anything like that. There was nothing like that. And I had no role models showing me that that was 
the way to live and the way to eat it as I was growing up. It wasn't until I went to college and um, I went on my first vacation with friends. We went to Miami and in Miami on Memorial Day weekend, they have this amazing, uh, like it's like an all around Miami, Miami beach event where everyone just goes down there. Um, when I was in college, they called it black beach weekend, Mm -hmm. but Um, I'm not sure if they still call it that anymore, but nonetheless, everyone was going and my girlfriends and I decided we wanted to go as well. At the time, camera phones weren't a thing. Um, so I had my, uh, my little digital camera where I could take my pictures and then I would develop them later. And while we were there and every time we were like getting approached by guys or they were around in our proximity, which it wasn't hard to do because there were men everywhere. There were women Mm -hmm. everywhere. A lot of people were making the comment like big girls need love too. Mm. And I remember like feeling like, who's this big girl they keep talking about? Cause it clearly wasn't me. I had no idea. Um, and it wasn't until we got back and I developed my photos that it dawned on me that I was the big girl in all of the pictures and all of my girlfriends were much thinner than I was. Mm. And my confidence has always been really high and I've always loved my body. I've always loved my shape. And while I knew I was shopping at stores that like my mom would shop at because I couldn't fit into sizes at the stores where my girlfriends would shop at, like I couldn't shop at Charlotte Russe because I couldn't fit into a 12. I couldn't shop at the time. Um, Rainbows was really popular for me because I could afford to buy their clothing. I couldn't fit in anything from Rainbow. And I knew this, but I still didn't perceive myself as a big or a fat woman or a curvy woman or a plus size woman. I didn't think of myself that way at the time. And so when I saw the photos and then I could see myself side by side with my friends and remembering how these men were making these comments about big girls need love too, it dawned on me like, wow, Janelle, you're really, really big. And when I actually did step on a scale, um, shortly after that vacation, I found out that I was 230 pounds Mm. and I was stunned. I had no idea that I had weighed that much and, um, that I was, you know, a big girl. It was like, Oh, for the first time I noticed, okay, yeah, you're, you're, you're kind of fat there, honey, that the thick, the, the using the word thick really doesn't apply to me anymore. <laughs> I tip the scale. Mm. Wow. So this is all at the university of Rhode Island. Yeah. Okay. So while you're there, you have this like epiphany while you're looking at the, the pictures, really a wake up call. Yeah. Um, when did you decide, that's the moment you decided to make a change, I guess, correct? Yeah, I did. I did. And what, um, and what did you do exactly? So um, I just, I, at that point, I knew that I needed to change how I was eating um, because I had been, okay, let me start with this. So I realized that I was the fat girl and I then maybe three months later saw one of the girls that was on the trip with us who was a little bit fluffy. She wasn't as big as me. She was what people would call thick. Um, And I saw her and she was no longer thick. She was skinny. Mm. And I was like, wait, what happened? Because we was just on vacation and you did not look like that. Um, and we vacation was in May and I think I was seeing her in like December. So it was like maybe six months later, actually not even three. Um, and she told me she had signed up for this program called LA weight loss mm-hmm. and the program's no longer around anymore. But the, uh, premise of the program was teaching you how to focus on portion control by um, creating a program that you followed where you would get to eat a certain amount of every single food group every single day. And as you would eat these food groups, you would use their dictionary, their little food dictionary. You would go through the food dictionary and you would identify what amount of that food you could eat to um to meet your daily values for your starch component, your vegetable, your fruit, your fat, um, and, uh, and, um, um, 
I think there was, oh, and protein and protein. So she told me she was doing that program. And I was like, I have to sign up. And I remember at the time, um, the sign up costs were pretty expensive. I remember it being like maybe like four hundred or $500. And <clears throat> in college, I like, I didn't have that kind of money, but I had been saving up some money little by little. And I decided that I was going to pretty much invest all my money into this program to help me lose weight because for the six months after going to vacation, I didn't really know where to start. Um, and it wasn't until I found this program that it made sense on how I'm supposed to follow my, um, follow a a good, healthy diet. And I signed up for the program. I immediately started to realize that the way I have eaten my whole life is completely not conducive to maintaining a healthy weight. Um, I love that the program gave me insight on how to, how to eat properly. So for example, As a librarian, most of the foods we eat, especially for like our lunch and our dinner, it includes rice. And the value of rice on this program was really restrictive. So if you decided you wanted to have your rice as your starch for the day or your carbohydrate for the day, it was like one serving of rice was like a half of cup. And when I looked at this half a cup in comparison to the amount of rice (laughs) I would normally eat for a meal, I was stunned, girl. I was eating probably the equivalent of like three to four cups of rice for my meal. And because I was sedentary and didn't do any activity at all and never worked out, never exercised, when you eat like that twice a day, every day for the, your entire life, you're just p- putting on weight. Um, I also never really focused on vegetables in the way that the program required me to. So now here I am thinking, okay, I have to start eating vegetables. I would never just eat like a salad or just eat some broccoli or with my like meal or just some green beans and the abundance of them at that. I would never eat that many vegetables in in a meal. It was just not how I I was taught to eat. So the program really helps me be mindful by teaching me, okay, you have to eat this much vegetable every day. You should also be eating this much fruit every day. Stay away from these type of carbohydrates and starches because they're, um, they're not as healthy for you. And also teaching me healthy habits. Like if I were to have brown rice over white rice, I could have a little bit more. Um, and the same thing for bread. If I have wheat bread over white bread, I could have a little bit more. So it encouraged me to pick up healthy habits because I'm like, I want more rice than that. So I'm definitely going to start eating brown rice. Um, I want more. I want to be able to have a complete sandwich and not have to have an open face sandwich. So I'm going to have wheat bread instead. And even like changing cereals, going from eating really sugary cereals that I never would think twice about eating because I love them to now having things that were definitely high fiber, whole grain, um, like Kashi. I remember the first time having Kashi cereal and I thought I was eating wood chips. I was like, (laughs) oh my goodness. Like, what is this? It was so fibrous and it was just so like hard in my mouth, but now I can eat that. No problem. I can eat Ezekiel bread, which is pretty like hard, like a rock. And when you toast it, it's like sandpaper, but I love it. Um, I would have never really considered myself to be a brown rice, quinoa, couscous type of person, but I love it. And, um, the program really just put me in a, in the mind frame of, okay, these are really healthy habits. And then I started to invest in some magazines. I got a subscription to Shape Magazine and Self Magazine, and I would read them. I would study the articles. Anytime they put out a new um, meal plan, I would try it. If they put out, they always have exercises in there. I would try those out too. I took advantage of the university gym, which was part of my um, tuition. I never had been in this, you know, university um, Olympic size center, never been in there before. And I finally started to go and I learned the machines and I was getting my life in order. I was fit. I was drinking so much more water than I was before. And, um, 
I just learned a whole lot. And that program helped me to get myself like on my feet. Um, and then with that program, I went from 230 pounds and over a period of like a, almost two years, I got down to like about 160. Oh, wow. um, incredible. Yeah. I lost a lot of weight. I craved working out. I craved eating healthy. And, um, by the time I left college, I was a vegetarian. So, um, it was really different from how I grew up and that seeing her and then seeing my pictures and, and all of that really helped to motivate me to invest in myself and in my health. Wow. Did the, did the program offer a community for you or did you have friends in school that kept you going or was this completely self-motivated? Oh, well, it didn't, didn't offer community, but they had mandatory weekly check-ins okay. with like your weight loss, um, counselor, so to speak. So every single week I had to drive out to the center and I would weigh in. Um, they would look at my book and they would see where were some of the areas that I needed to do better. Um, the book required you to, to be as honest as possible so you could keep, they could keep you accountable and they would notice things like, you know, I noticed this week you had a lot of cereal for breakfast, whereas the last couple of weeks you've been eating only oatmeal and and now your weight loss isn't as great, you know, even though the calories are different in um, how much of the cereal you can have versus the oatmeal. Um, and also the, 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 the quantity is different. The portion is different. By making that decision to have it, you are still having more sugar and you're having more sodium and um, you're not giving your body the fiber. So you're retaining weight by, by doing that. And they would say, you know, I know sometimes you might crave cereal because it's sweet and it's good and you get tired of eating the same thing every day. I, I understand, but let's try to have like one cereal day instead of like five or seven. Um, so they would say things like that to help me. And then as you lost weight in the program, your meal plan guide would change. So that was very rewarding because you get to um, eat a little bit differently and you, it was, it would get more restrictive, but it was kind of like a, it was a reward system for you because you knew that when you got into a lower category that you had lost this amount of weight to get to that place where your body doesn't need as many calories to maintain itself and all that stuff. So they, um, they did that. And then outside of that, it was just you on your own throughout the week. They did offer like a hot, a hotline if you felt like you needed to speak to someone, but I never needed to call. I was so motivated. Um, by my results that it wasn't, I didn't need anything else pushing me. Um, I think for me, because my girl's friends were already much thinner, I was probably already a little motivated too, by knowing that I would be in a size in their size range. Um, and I wouldn't be like the big girl in the group. So that was motivating as well. And, um, being creative with how I ate because it was so new for me. Like my whole life, I had never eaten that way. I was able to explore new options. I would go into the the dining halls and they had so many options available, but I would never eat all of these other things because I never ate like that. So I naturally was, um, not interested, but now I would go in and I would see like the walk and I would say, Hey, can I have like an entire bowl of steamed broccoli? And, um, I want some of that sauce and yes, can I have some of the, the sprouts? And I was adding all these things that I had never really eaten before into a dish. And then it would, um, make me feel so good because I knew I was getting in the vegetables. I was satiated, which was a problem for me when I started taking the rice out. And I'm like, how do you go from eating three cups of rice twice a day to now eating a half a cup. So here I am trying to find all these ways to learn to eat healthy, to stay satiated, to stay um, happy so that my energy's up. And um, those were that was enough for me. And then also, like I said, the Shape magazine, I would read it and I would be inspired by all of the stuff they had there. I, um, I love mantras and I love positive sayings. So I started like my own journal where I would create um, like kind of like a scrapbook. I would cut out some of those positive phrases and mantras. And I still do that till this day that I would put in the book and I would write out like my journal of what I'm thinking and feeling 
to encourage myself and keep me focused. And then anytime I um, was meeting with my counselor, I would get that support on her end. And then, you know, actually, now that I think about it, my mom, when she started to see my results uh, further down, because sometimes it's not as easy, of course, when you lose just like only five or 10, people can't really see. But when you start like hitting, like you've lost like 30 pounds, people are like, whoa, you look so different. Um, My mom decided to sign up and there was a center really close to her in her town where she lived in Rhode Island. And she started to see really good results too, like right away. So she was inspired by me and I was able to support her. And then I had a few friends that I was um, a resident assistant with or an orientation leader with who um, we would go to the gym together and we would go on long walks around campus together and we would make sure that we would eat together to keep each other um, together as people, as people got to see that I was losing weight, people would come and ask me questions. And then I became like this all knowing nutritionist mm-hmm. on campus. Yeah. You were <laughs> a health leader on campus. You, you were practically a pretty girl sled ambassador before you knew you were one <laughs> years exactly. and years and years ago. That's, I love exactly. this story so much. I really do. Um, how did this journey for you in college impact you academically? Cause I'm sure it played a role. Yeah, I would say that there definitely was um, some changes there. I think one of the things that people often don't even realize will happen when you start eating healthier and you start working out is your attention, your focus, your energy is all so much better. So when I would wake up in the morning, I I didn't have to drag myself out of bed anymore. I didn't feel the need to carb load or load up on sweets in order to continue my, um, like to finish my work late into the evening. Um, and the more, the more I lost weight and I could see the results, I felt more confident because like I said, my confidence had been really high and it wasn't until I now (laughs) noticed that I was the fat girl amongst everybody. And then I became really self-conscious about myself. So that started to shift and um, I could see that in how my interactions were with some of my friends post the trip. But, um, you know, outside of just like what I looked like and what I felt like the energy and that is, that's amazing. Like I still... I still see the benefits of it now because I'm, I'm constantly active and I'm always eating right. But that energy and that focus and what that does to you when you're eating well and you're giving your body what it needs is something that you really can't get from any sports drink, any energy drink. Nothing can give you that. Mm. What was your major? I majored, I actually did a double major. My um, initial major was political science. I was planning on going to law school. I wanted to be attorney general and everything. Um, And then my second major, my double major was in African American, actually it was philosophy with a minor in African American studies. Mm. And did dating at all during this period of your life, um, did it kind of like interfere at all with your health journey or even your academic success? Um, well, a little bit of yes and a little bit of no. Okay. I, um, <clears throat> when, when I first entered college, I already had a boyfriend and we had been dating while I was in high school. And during college, we, um, we were not on the same campus because I initially was not going to URI and he also initially was not going to URI. But then um, due to financial issues with my family and also with his his family, we ended up going to an in-state school, which was URI. So we ended up being on campus together and we just weren't able to make it work. There was just a whole bunch of drama, but I wouldn't say necessarily that it was related to my weight. I think it just was what it was. And then... Um, when I met my husband, who's now who was then a friend, was when my girlfriends and I were planning a second trip to Miami because we were so excited about how much fun we had the first time. Um, I met my husband at the time through one of the girls, one of my friends. We were gonna we were planning the trip together, and um, we were we he and I would talk a lot because we were getting to know each other and I was the liaison between his group of friends who were in New York that wanted to join our group in going to Miami. And um, slowly but surely, the more we talked, the more we started to like fall in like with each other. And we, um, I don't remember if, I don't remember if he was able to see a picture of me before or not, because 
internet wasn't really social media wasn't big. Like I remember Facebook came out while I was in college. So, um, I don't know if you remember a, a, a page or like a social media site called black planet. Yeah, of course. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we were able to see pictures of each other through black planet, but my pictures weren't updated there. And I was a little nervous about what he would think about me when he saw me for the first time. Cause I was bigger than I was in those photos, but I just had no way of updating those pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did meet and he, it didn't bother him at all that I was a big girl. He never made a comment to make me think like there was a problem about it or at all. So for me personally, um, I, I had no issues with my weight of affecting how I dated or who I dated. And um, yeah, that wasn't a problem for me. Well, tell me about your first job. What did you do to like get your foot in the door? When I left college, I wasn't sure about where I would end up because I thought the whole time I was in college, I was going to go and I was going to be a lawyer. I even took my LSAT in preparation of going to law school. And then I decided that I did not want to go to law school anymore because I started to kind of like count down the amount of years it would take to really get fully established in a law, in a, with my law degree and becoming a lawyer. And I didn't like how that number sounded with me wanting to be a mom and my goals of having children. So I was like, okay, I'm not about to be doing this for like the next eight years. And then I can't have children or don't have children until I'm like in my thirties, I would prefer to have children a lot sooner than that. So I decided against that career. And when I moved from, um, when I graduated college, I moved to New York and I lived with my dad. I wanted to be closer to my boyfriend, um, at the time So I moved to live with my dad and my dad wasn't really supportive of me, like not having a job. And I was really not sure what I was going to do because I knew I needed a job, but I needed, I wanted to use my degree and I wanted to have the type of um, job that represented someone who went to college. So I ended up starting off at working in retail because I had done retail while I was in college and I had a lot of experience in retail and I was working at um, Rainbow and then I was working at the Limited and in the time, in in the interim of working in these places, just to be able to have like some money to take care of like my cell phone or whatever, I um, would apply to a lot of places online like Craigslist. And I ended up working in the, um, in a, in, at a company that sold mutual funds. I was working in finance. So I would sell mutual funds and I would sell insurance and I would go into the city every single day into Manhattan. And I would study, 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 study because the company wanted for, you can't, sell mutual funds or insurance until you pass your series tests. And so I would go in every day and I would study, 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 study. I would take tests on the computer in preparation for taking the real test. And I was not getting paid for this. I would go in like I was working a nine to five every day, not getting paid, um, taking care of my own travel expenses, taking care of my own lunch and everything. And then finally the day came where I was ready to take the test and I passed it. And so I could finally work as a an agent for this company. Um, well, the, the company was all commission-based. So I had to hustle to make any money. And I remember getting a um, a really big deal that that ended up failing. The uh, people who I was going to give, um, sell an investment property to, not an investment property, an investment product to, they decided that they didn't want to go through with it anymore. And of course, it's their money. They do not have to invest if they don't want to. And until they sign the dotted line, then there's just no way you're going to get paid. And when they decided that they did not want to do it anymore, I was so devastated. I just decided I wasn't going to be able to go back into the, into the office anymore. I knew that it wasn't the type of job for me. I was depressed and I didn't like the, um, the like dog eat dog world of it all. I was always out super late traveling to clients homes by myself as a young lady, um, trying to introduce them to our products and sell them our products, hopefully hoping that they would make investments. My list of clients would come from referral. So I don't know rich people and my people that I knew didn't know rich people. So I would spend a lot of time 
practicing my skills and practicing my presentation with people that had absolutely no money who couldn't invest anyway. And meanwhile, you'd see like the CEOs and the, um, other high performing agents closing these really huge deals. And it's like, I would never meet these kind of people ever anywhere. And I didn't like the whole sales aspect of the job anyway, because I really felt wholeheartedly that if someone isn't interested in investments or not interested in insurance, that's their prerogative. And I did not like having to try to force people to do something they didn't want to do. So once I lost a sale and I, um, was starting to feel so depressed about this whole thing. I said, this is not the career that I'm supposed to be in. I should not wake up every morning feeling like the weight of the world is on my shoulders. I shouldn't wake up every morning feeling like I am going to be a failure and there's going to be no wins in my day. And even if I was motivating myself when I would wake up like, okay, I'm going to make all my calls today and I'm going to schedule several appointments, the level of effort that would go into securing like one appointment or even a few was so great that it wasn't rewarding to me and I didn't love it. So I decided I was never going back in and I would go on Craigslist every day and I would look up to see what jobs were out there that I felt like were interesting to me. And then I landed on this program called the Institute of Reading Development, where I would work with small children teaching them how to read from the curriculum and they paid for training on like this other job that I had that didn't pay me nothing. Mm-hmm. They didn't buy me lunch. They didn't pay for my, 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 um, my train fare, nothing. So they were paying for training. They were, the training allowed for me to work outside of my home. All I needed was internet connection and a landline phone. So I could call in for conferences and I could be on the computer to do the training. And I was so excited um, because my, my credentials allowed me to be qualified for it. And I loved working with children. I grew up in a large family. I have five brothers and four sisters. I have so many cousins, so many nieces. And I was excited about working in a new environment and finding something that I I qualified for that was going to pay well. And I was in New York, so I was able to commute on the train to get to where it was when the time was right. I was so excited. Um, I applied, I got accepted, and from there, like a lot of events that happened in my life just continued to um, a very positive domino effect um, when I stepped out of something that really wasn't working for me and stepped out on faith and said, I'm going to try something new, don't know where I'm going to go with it. But this is um, this feels right, and I'm I'm really excited about it. Well, that first experience, of course, as you said, just wasn't ideal for you. But I'm sure you learned quite a bit from it. Like, what do you think you took away from that position? Well, I definitely know that I'm a good people person, but I already knew that I was a good people <laughs> person to begin with. Um, but in that job, you really have to be because sales is really about how you connect with people. Um, I did learn that as I'm, I'm strong. I'm obviously strong. I'm very smart. I was able to go from a background not in finance and pass examinations in finance with no background in it at all. And um, the I was able to determine what was for me and what wasn't for me because at that point it was like me taking any type of job just because they would hire me and I was very excited. But I learned learned a lot about myself, that there are things that I'm willing to do, things that I'm not willing to do. And um, it helps me now, of course, in my career, because I'm able to advocate for myself mm-hmm. better um, by, by being, in a, in a, being put in a position where I was doing something that I hated for so long. I will never, ever allow that to happen <laughs> to me ever again. All right. So that's the perfect transition to kinky, curly, curly me. So what was the inspiration yeah. behind that? Uh, Oh yeah, my baby. Kinky Curly Curly Me is my baby. Um, it's my first business that I started. I in uh 2010, my cousin and I were on our way to the nightclub. We were gonna go party in the city in Manhattan, and she started to tell me a little bit about wanting to not get her hair relaxed anymore and not using chemical perms and, and all of that. And I remember being like so surprised. I was I was very apprehensive. I thought she was crazy. And 
the more she talked about it, I kept asking her like, why? But I was very negative. I had that mindset that, you know, black women don't look beautiful that way. I felt like because we were African, it's very likely that our hair is going to be nappy. It's not going to be cute. I was saying all things that make me cringe today. Um, and I didn't know, you know, where she was going with it, but you know, when we left the club, she was still talking about that same thing. And then she sent me videos on YouTube from YouTube of women who were natural and they looked beautiful. And there were all these women who were sharing their natural hair journeys. They would take either photos of themselves and create a photo montage video, or they actually had video of them going to the salon and getting their hair cut. And you could just see the joy on their faces. Some women would cry during the process as their hair was getting cut, each lock that fell on the floor. And some women were just so happy, um, And I remember feeling like, wow, and seeing the journeys that they had from really short hair after doing their big chop and watching their hair grow and be so beautiful, so healthy, no matter what the texture was, I just wanted to feel that way because even though my cousin was initiating the conversation around not getting relaxers, I I too, as a Black woman who had gotten relaxers, knew the struggles that she talked about. I wasn't you know, um, against what she was saying as far as the chemical burns to the scalp, the consistently having to like avoid water, the the breakage from the hair being styled one way all the time, um, the lack of versatility with the hair and, you know, having to get weaves and extensions and whatnot. So I knew what she was talking about. I just did not feel as though I would look beautiful that way because I had not seen anyone that looked like me with hair like mine who looked good wearing their natural hair. And, you know, most people don't know how to style it. So when you see someone with natural hair, it looks nothing like what us ladies on Instagram and on YouTube are making natural hair look like to this day. It was usually like locked or tapered or if someone wore it in an afro like that was really it like styles like twist outs bantu knots braid outs i had not seen that before and most people had not either um so I was aware now, I was finally made aware and I was exposed to this whole new world that there are women who are doing this. And while that community is very, very small, I was very excited and motivated to embark on my natural hair journey. And on March 26th of 2010, my cousin and I, we had a big chop party where we um, got drinks, we got food and she big chopped me and I big chopped her and we turned it into to a celebration, a day that we will never forget um, when we went natural. And shortly after, I would say probably like the day after um, of going natural, I found that I was thinking about it all day. Like I was so engrossed in being natural and I was watching lots of videos. I was searching Google as much as I could to find resources that offered support. I would even like go and buy magazines thinking that the black hair magazines would have some information on it. And they didn't. Um, there were a few, there were a few websites like curlynicky.com that talked about natural hair. There was another one called Nappyology, but I couldn't like get into unless you subscribe for membership and um naturally curly at the time did have some conversation about natural hair now of course eight years later naturally curly has a ton of conversation about natural hair but at the time they didn't um and then it was limited to the women who shared their experiences on youtube i found comfort in channels like kim a tube where um the woman who was behind the channel would share a lot of insight on the science behind our natural hair. Uh, Women like African Export, she doesn't make natural hair videos anymore, but oh yeah, so you know who she is. At the time, African Export would teach us a lot about some styling and her texture is similar to mine on the kinkier side. And there were a few other channels of women whose textures weren't like mine, but I enjoyed watching because they talked about products like Taryn Guy, um, at the time, our channel was called Taryn916, and she's now on a, a lock journey. Um, and a few others. I can't really think of them at the moment, but some of them I still watch to this day. Oh, yes, I can think of them. Um, Ambrosia, her channel is X Golden, but now it's called Ambrosia Marlboro, which is her name. Um, and... Um, 
uh, there was another one, but she's gone back and forth between being natural and being relaxed and being natural again and being relaxed. Um, so yeah, I would find comfort in channels like those. And as I would learn so much every day, I'd come home and I would just inundate myself with all this natural hair information so that I could do this right. I wanted to do it right. I wanted to be successful. I didn't want my hair to get broken or damaged. I wanted it to be healthy. I decided that I would start a platform of my own where I could just talk about my experiences and what I was learning and just have a place to get it out because I had nobody in my community that I could talk to. No one aside from my cousin was natural, so no one understood. And, you know, I would wake up every day and talk to my husband about everything I was learning. I'm like, oh, babe, did you know that honey is a humectant and I can use that in my hair and it would make my hair moisturize. I could do a honey olive oil mask. Um, and I would tell him about how moisturizing um, shea butter was. And I'm going to make my own shea butter with my own shea butter moisturizer with oil and everything. And he was like, babe, I love how motivated you are about your journey and about your hair experience, but I really don't <laughs> care that much about all of this stuff. So I was like, okay, exactly. boo, I, um, I get it. I get it. I'm holding No, you were um, passionate and excited. I was very passionate, uh, but I needed an outlet. So I decided to create Kinky Curly Coily Me, as, um, which is the name of the textures that I feel encompass what my hair looks like and what Black women who have natural hair, what their hair types are. Um, and I wanted it to be, initially it was my place where I talked about my own hair and what I was learning. As I learned about so many different ingredients, I would write it down there. As I learned about um, new products, I would write it there. As I found new styles, I would share them there. And then I decided um, a few years after I started, I wanted to create community outside of, of, of the blog. So I started a meetup group on meetup.com which today I believe my meetup group is still one of the largest, although I'm not very active on there like I have been in the past. But I um, started the meetup group where I would meet, I would call out women who were, had natural hair in New York City and ask them to meet with me at Chipotle. And then I would go to, I started to reach out to sponsors and I wanted to create my own dinner party where I could meet up with these women and encourage them to make relationships with, with the women who came at the event. And I called it Dinner with Curl Friends. Mm -hmm. And I had the Dinner with Curl Friends event in New York City for about a year, pretty much uh, the first Saturday of every month. And then I went on tour with it one year. I was able to go on tour um, after just going to, I would go to, I first went to like one city here, then one city there. And then I decided to go on tour when I was able to get a sponsor. And I went to five different cities. We were in Houston, we were in Philly, um, Atlanta. We did New York. We went to, where else did we go to? Um, Dallas. I think that's it that year. And we um, would meet with women all over just to be able to come together and have like this really positive vibe. Um, I got to meet women in, of all walks of life in all different career paths of all industries with all different situations and journey experiences with the different types of support and whatnot. And we were able to just have a great time together and I loved it. Um, but yeah, Kinky Curly Coily Me to this day still has, um, I still have my YouTube channel. Um, and now I'm trying to talk more about cultural issues and issues that affect our community. But for years, I would make YouTube tutorials. They're still there. They're still really good. Anybody can go on and they can listen to them and watch my videos and learn about their hair. I still have my website, which still has updated articles and we still win awards. We still win awards by Essence best in black beauty. The website is still constantly viewed every single month, hundreds of thousands of views on KCCM, um, which is what I call kinky curly curly me for short. Our, um, Facebook fan page is still one of the largest natural hair pages to this day, almost a million. And, um, Instagram as well, where I share black beauty, black culture in its finest there. So that's how I started my very first business. And, you know, I, I love the natural hair community. I'm obviously still natural and still very much a part of everything that's going on these days. 
What advice would you give for a young woman who wants to be a content creator and turn it into a business? I would tell her to start creating content as often as you can, uh, create and organize yourself so you can create a content calendar and be aware of what people are talking about. Always be studying. I spent a lot of my day doing research and development to identify what are the current trends, what are women talking about, because that's how we get to know about what's going on in the world. When you see people talking about something, see what research you can do, figure it out for yourself and write about that. Um, be open to going to a community event so you can really get to meet your audience or meet people and connect with them. And you can do partnerships with them as well. And um, stay true to yourself. Always make sure your voice is your own. So that way, when people are hearing your, you speak on YouTube or if you have like a podcast or, or something like that, or if they are reading your blog, they know who you are through your words, through your videos. Um, it's really important to have your own voice, especially in a world where people tend to want to mimic what they feel is successful or what successful people have done. It's really important to be your own person and be consistent because, you know, I've been doing this for eight years. I, there are a lot of women that I was mentioning just at the beginning when I said that they were my motivators and they inspired me. They no longer even do this anymore. So if you want to turn it into a career, you have to be consistent and figure out how to keep, how to keep up with the times mm -hmm. when, um, when the times are changing and things that were once really popular and were um, a very integral part of your brand start to change and you need to kind of like make new decisions on how you deliver your content, be open to doing that and be innovative as well. If you have an idea that you want to put out there, don't hesitate because you no one else has done it or you're afraid of how it will be received. Just do it. Um, one of my favorite quotes that I always share on my own podcast is inhale confidence and exhale doubt. And I always tell people, stop, stop doubting your, your dreams and start doubting your fears. Mm, great advice. A few rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready? Okay. All right. I'm so ready. your top app. You said app? App, yes. Oh, um, in terms of, okay, I know it's rapid fire. I'm so sorry. But <laughs> no is, problem. It like, is it like social media or like, like any, anything? Like, like, any app that you find yourself using frequently to manage your life. Okay. I would say right now it would be Unum. That's U-N as in Nancy, U-M as in Mary, Unum. And that's my um, Instagram uh, social planner. Nice. All right. Favorite books? Uh, favorite books? I would say um, The Year of Yes by Shonda Rhimes. Um um, how to be a badass at making money. What was her name that made that one? I forget her name. Um, the highly paid expert. I forget her name too. Sorry. No um, but it's a good one. And I have a, I have a meditation book by, um, Joel Olstein. It's like 30, 30 days of meditation, but that's not the exact name. I forget it right now, but I'm always reading that book. Okay. One small thing you do each day that makes you happy. Um, kiss and hug on my family. Okay. Your exercise habits. How often do you work out per week? Every day, Monday through Friday, um, <laughs> I work out two times a week with my trainer one-on-one. -on -one, and the other three days, I will attend group training sessions with my trainer. And, and even outside of that, I still will work out on my own. If you're in a group fitness class, where do you typically stand? Right in the front. I don't want to miss a thing that, that um, the... the um, instructor is doing. If I'm in the back, I can't kind of see. And then I, I want to be front and center. Like I want to be right there. I want to follow it. And if, even if I'm not doing it right, it doesn't matter. I need to be able to see him or her so I can do exactly what they're doing. What's always in your gym bag? My um, Bluetooth wireless headphones, my workout gloves, um, a bottle of water, and um, some lip balm. What can make or break your workout? 
if I don't have good music, mm-hmm. so I usually use Apple Music, and sometimes I'll hit a dead zone in the gym, and I'm like, oh my goodness. What are what's on your playlist? Um, my running playlist has Cardi B, Bodak Yellow. Um, that's like an anthem. It like really gets me turned up. And then I have Demi Lovato, Sorry Not Sorry. Um, I have DJ Khaled. I'm the one featuring Justin Bieber and like everybody, Migos and all Chance the Rapper. Um, Bruno Mars, that's what I like. Uh, the the new song from Back Black Panther with SZA and Kendrick mm-hmm. Lamar, All the Stars. Yeah, um, uh, I have Kendrick Lamar, Humble, and DJ Khaled, All I Do Is Win. That's the last song. So I know when I hear that, like, I'm about to be done. So I go hard, <laughs> like, all I do is win, 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 no matter what. Like, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> What's your typical pre-workout meal? Uh, it's always the same at this point right now. It's oatmeal. I have boiled oatmeal with from steel cut oats. I have that with a tablespoon of chia seeds to give me my omegas, my fiber, my protein, my plant-based protein. And I have a tablespoon of dried cranberries on top with a half a cup of almond milk. And every now and then I may add like a tablespoon of peanut butter to it, but typically that's what I have. And what about after your workout? I have a uh, protein shake to help restore my muscles because I'm usually doing weight training. I make it with one cup of almond milk, a tablespoon of coconut almond vega plant-based protein, a tablespoon of chia seeds, and then I top it with water in my um, 16-ounce protein shaker bottle, and then I just shake that up, and I'll drink that. Your cheat day meal? Uh, Maybe pizza. Um... Or it may not be the meal, but I'll have like, like, I'll have like cake and chocolate, like all of that kind of stuff. Okay. And your go-to beauty products? Go-to beauty products. So for skincare, I must have black soap. My African black soap is what has kept my, uh, what used to be acne prone skin, non-acne prone. I've never had clearer skin in my life since I started using African black soap that I found out about once I went natural and was learning about natural ingredients and, you know, um, cleansers that weren't harsh and everything. And I found out that I could use it on my skin. So I would say African black soap for sure. Um, I'm loving oils as my moisturizer. I never thought I would ever moisturize my face with an oil because it just seemed counterproductive if you have oily skin. But now I'm using the Derma E glow oil, radiant glow oil, and I love it. For my hair, hands down Shea Moisture. Love, love, love Shea Moisture, but I also dabble in with Eden Body Works and Camille Rose, As I Am. They all make really great products for natural hair that give me what I need at different times during the year. And I would say for skincare right now, I'm loving this very small Black-owned business that's local to me in New York. They're called Butter Bodies, and Butter Bodies will have your body feeling like butter <laughs> because... Their skincare um, whipped shea butter is like nothing I've ever, ever felt on my skin. And I, my whole family uses it mm. too. And since pretty girls sweat, which deodorant do you use? I use um, the Clinical Strength Secret. Okay. Um, it looks like a sample size when you get it because there's like nothing in there mm-hmm. <laughs> and they charge like twice as much for it. But it's the only thing that can keep me dry when I um, am in high stress situations. I sweat a lot. Like when I work out, like there's nothing that's going to make me not sweat. I'm always dripping in sweat, dripping in it. But when I'm um, on a conference call, something like this, or in a meeting where I'm talking with a potential partner, that type of high stress situation, my underarms will be drenched Mm -hmm. and I didn't know what to do. I tried so many things and then I was like, hmm, I remember seeing Oprah on the bottle because there's one particular fragrance that Oprah is, um, if you buy that one, it like supports one of her charities Mm -hmm. or something like that. And it was clinical strength and it was like supposed to be so much better. So I bought it. I was like, if Oprah's rocking with it, it must be Uh right. Um, 
<laughs> so I bought it and I promise you it keeps me dry in high stress situations like that. But like I said, there's nothing during a workout that's going to keep me from sweating. I am soaked mm. head to toe. That's, head to that's toe. a good thing. That's a good thing. And oh yeah, that's a good uh, thing. yeah. <laughs> and what do the words pretty girl sweat mean to you? I feel like it for me, it stands for empowerment. Um, it sounds like you work hard. And sometimes when you're in, like I said, high stressful situations, you may be sweaty. It sounds, it tells me that pretty girls are active. Pretty girls will be about their business. You got, you got to put in the work sometimes. And it's not always technically pretty when you're doing it, but being a, a strong woman, a woman that's empowered, that's sometimes what you have to go through. You have to put in the work and you have to put in that sweat equity to get out of it what you need. So that's what pretty girl sweat means to me. We about our business. We work hard. We take living healthy and being well and wellness very, very seriously. I'm like nodding my head right now. Like, yep, yep. <laughs> so what's next for you? Um, I'm working now on one of my courses. It's called Let's Upgrade Your Social Media. I've been reached out to by countless people who, um, women who support, who have supported me throughout the years, who are looking at me as a resource and as someone who's doing business very well and also maintaining a home, maintaining her family, and of course, taking care of my own self. And they want to get into businesses and they look at social media as a great free way to market and advertise their businesses, but they just don't know the first thing about branding and marketing. They just know how to create and do what their talents are. So I created Let's Upgrade Your Social Media to help the people that are lacking the social strategy to really build their audiences. They do not know how to properly engage. Uh, one of the benefits that they already have is they know how to use social media, unlike people who are like in their 50s and up who really don't know exactly how to use it that well. Although I do know my mama is on Instagram <laughs> and she's on Facebook. So she knows how to do a little bit of it, but at the same time, they only know how to use it from the personal side. They just don't know how to properly use it as an as a business and how to engage. So my Let's Upgrade Your Social Media course is that, and it's on Teachable. It's Janelle B. Stewart um, dot Teachable, I believe. Um, if you go to JanelleBStewart.com, you can see it there. Um, and I've been dabbling in influencer marketing. A lot of companies have been approaching me to get the word out about some of the services that they offer or the products that they offer that they feel that my audience would be really interested in. So I'm working on some long-term programs with BJs, with Progressive Insurance to bring some really cool stuff to my audience that they have in the works and other companies as well. And then of course, my podcast is growing. I love getting, um, questions so that I can answer those questions on my podcast when, when I'm not talking about whatever it is I want to speak about. So I love being able to connect with my audience on the podcast and my daughter's business, which is LP Stewart. Her brand is flourishing as the moms who have um, been supporting me before we were moms, as we're now having our own children, they need the help with how to raise mm -hmm. these kids. And I come from a family that strong and strongly believes in family and, and community and building each other up. So I bring that with me in my work. And it's important for me to show moms that granted, we have children that are living in, in a world that we didn't necessarily grow up like them, but we are a part of it. You know, unlike the generation before us, I would say, they, our parents didn't really know how to handle us being on social media. And I didn't get on social media until I was an adult. But there's a generation that are, their, their, their kids were on social media before they even understood it. And they were dealing with the pressures of of that. You know, how do I keep my child safe? How do I protect them from it? Whereas me, I'm all up on it. So my children ain't going to be running through around me doing anything crazy, but I want my audience through social media to see positive parenting, positive um, marriage, 
positive relationships with with people around us and how to take care of themselves. So with my daughter's platform, I'm able to show them on a daily basis, like this is how I'm educating my kids at home. Yes, there's a component of education that happens at school, but this is what I'm doing. These are the um, the life skills I'm teaching my kids. I, I share videos of my daughter and my son um, sorting their laundry and changing the paper towel roll, helping me do the recycling, supporting each other in the house by setting the table together. Um, and of course, taking care of her hair is one that is very, very popular. The moms love to see how do I take care of Elle's hair? How am I maintaining her own hair and my own hair? So I'm able to bring that to them as well and be able to create this legacy that we um, have with each other as my loves. I call my audience my loves. We're able to continue growing with each other now as moms and as wives and so on. That's Janelle. Follow the entrepreneur, wife, and mother to two adorable children at kinkycurlycoilyme.com, on our personal website, janellebstewart.com, and across all social media platforms at janellebstewart and at Black is Beautiful. Just one more thing before you take off. Do you want to get a short email from Pretty Girl Sweat every Monday and Friday that serves as a daily dose of all things inspiring and allows you priority access to our upcoming events? Just go to prettygirlsweat.com. That's prettygirls with an S, sweat.com. Drop in your email and you'll get the very next one. And if you sign up, you'll soon discover that there's no hood like sisterhood. Until next time, always remember that good things come to those who sweat.